Well, welcome to the first episode of The Happy Place. I am Vince, and I am just so happy you're here. It's an honor that you guys are even listening, so thank you. Uh, If you don't know, this podcast is about entrepreneurship and leadership, faith, family, life, mental health, uh, just about anything, honestly. Um, My hope is that each episode is, as you listen, that you hear something that resonates with you and it sparks something. I've been listening to podcasts uh, at least 10 years before they were popular, and uh, they're really somewhat therapeutic for me. And so I've learned so much from the podcasts I've listened to, and my hope is that you're able to do the same. So one thing real quick before we begin, I am hosting our first ever men's retreat, and it's May 1st through May 3rd down at Table Rock Lake in Missouri. We are calling this uh, retreat the Spiritual Reboot. And our first one, it's going to be for men, and it's really guys that uh, may be feeling alone or disconnected and hopeless, or they need a spiritual breakthrough, um, and they just kind of realize they can't keep going through life alone. You know, the things that we're doing now, that's just not enough. It's not working for us. Um, Maybe uh, you've suffered some trauma, or you're going through a hard time in your marriage, and you just need a little help moving forward. It's really who it's for. So we got 15 spots available. You can go to my website, which is vincematani.com slash retreats. You can read all about what we're going to be doing and apply there. We are going to fill these up quick. We have done just so much word of mouth with, with people and friends and just talking about it. And we have so many people interested. So I have a feeling those 15 slots will fill up really soon. So go there, apply, and get get yourself registered and, and grab a seat. We're going to be doing more, so we're going to be having a women's one coming up, and then we are doing a leadership slash entrepreneur one over summer as well. So they're going to be just a lot of fun, building community, going through sessions and framework on really just how to live a better life. So, and then with that, here we are, first episode. Uh, this episode, it's it's going to be about mental health. It's about counseling, and I really just want to lay the groundwork for us as we continue to build and we go through each uh, interview. So for me, counseling has been incredibly important and uh, I've learned a lot about myself doing both self-work but then also going to counseling and I could not think of a better way to start this whole podcast than with my dear friend Karen DeBrock. Karen is a licensed professional counselor. She owns a practice in St. Louis. Um, But you're going to hear just a conversation between Karen and I on why counseling is important, how to kind of defeat the stigma of counseling, how to handle generalized anxiety, and uh, just a whole lot more regarding our mental health and counseling. And just when I was listening to it again, I was just forgot how good this is. And and I think you're going to agree. So we want to note that if you are struggling, please reach out, reach out to somebody, uh, me, a friend. Uh, a counselor, but you don't have to go through this alone. And we want you to know that you're important. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And here's me and Karen. How long have you been a licensed therapist? Counselor? You know what? Licensed officially, um, I don't know, maybe even less than a year. I took the long route in terms of getting supervised and getting, um, you know, had all kinds of hiccups and different things that you do when you're 
trying to juggle a million different things. Right. Family, yeah. kids. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, um, but been counseling for like, I mean, solidly for about six years. What made you want to get into counseling? Uh, you know, it's funny. It's kind of the family business. Hmm. Like my dad was a psychologist here in the area and, um, for years, all my growing up years. And I loved that and knew that he was so good at it. All of us kind of, there's four of us in the family, mm-hmm. um, four of us kids, and all of us sort of followed in his footsteps and decided, didn't really decide, it was just kind of the thing that we were all really Got good it. at. You right. know? So um, majored, I think all of us majored in psychology, um, and mostly because it just came easy to us, you know? Growing up in that environment, um, was he always like psychoanalyzing no. you guys? Oh, that's good. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, no, uh, not at all. Matter of fact, and I and I, I I've probably had that question a million times, but no. Yeah. I mean, he just was dad. It's kind of like now he can get into that mode. He could get into that mode really easily, and you could almost see him flip that switch. But it okay. was all because he really was interested, you mm-hmm. know. And so he knew the right questions to ask, and he knew, you know. So, but. Um, you know, I mean, there were just, he wasn't at all like that. It wasn't, and counseling, you know, when it comes to psychoanalysis, it's not at all what you see on TV. You know this. I mean, we've yeah. had these conversations yeah. before. It's not anything like you would imagine. Nobody, like, lays on the couch and, you know, nobody, like, shrinks your brain when you're, you know, when you're with a client. None of those kinds of things. It's not like that at all. So um, it, it's just a matter of conversation and what, you know, getting to the heart of people. And that my dad was just good at that. And so we just grew up mm, interacting with people that way. My mom was not far behind him in terms of being able to have those kinds of conversations mm-hmm. with people. So I didn't want to actually join into the family business at all. I ran from it in some ways, even though I majored in psychology. I don't know that I had a real deep desire to get into counseling at all. I watched the hardships that it created with my dad being in private practice. Yeah. And Which my you're mom in now. Managed, yes, <laughs> and all of the things that come with that, uh-huh. you know, managing a business. It's right. just you've started a business now. So all the things that come with yeah. that. And it's challenging. And he worked a lot tirelessly and um, and cared an awful lot about all of it. And so um, I think when you're at home and you're seeing some of the hardships that come with any job, you're kind of like, mm, well, I'll just pick something different, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> Like, but all I, right. jobs have their things. So I want was... my kids to be entrepreneurs, but then they, I'm, especially Sydney, she's at the age now, she kind of is privy to more conversations. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, here's real life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's exactly right. Yeah. But the reality is that's the case with any job, sure. right? There's just, there's a, a challenge with all of it. And if you're very real with your kids, they're going to get to see some of the highs and the lows. Mm-hmm. And um, so I really, and plus I did not, th- this, I don't even know how to say this. I've never been able to explain this very well, but I also didn't want to get into that business just because it was something that was kind of more natural to me. I didn't feel like that was the um, the standard for whether or not you should get involved in a particular field, you know? And so I, I, I did. I just kind of stepped away from it, really just... And, and when John and I got married, we started having kids right away, so it wasn't like I could pursue a career in the first place. Yeah. How many years... Right away, you say right away. How many? 
So right well, I mean, it, mm-hmm. I mean, I've had other business. I've had, I've done other other careers. Oh wait, so I'm I, sorry. How long before you guys were married and then you had Ellie? Ah, so our first anniversary, we found out we were pregnant with Ellie. <laughs> 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 Surprise! <laughs> so um, and we're not at all trying to have babies at the time. It was not financially a good uh-huh. time at all. I could go into all the details, but it wouldn't matter. Um, it just was not at all our timing, and so. Um, so pretty much, John was, it, w- it was like, let's just scramble and figure out how we can support ourselves, which was a challenge and remains a challenge in different ways now, but um, was a challenge for sure early on. So yeah, um, started having babies. And, and then when they were old enough to be in school, my thought was, I'm just going to um, get my, uh, we were living in Texas, and I'm just going to get my emergency teacher certification because they had a shortage of teachers. And I love teaching, so it was like, yep, that's natural. This is good timing. It'll be a great schedule for my kids. Got my teaching certificate, started teaching. All my babies finally were in school. Um, And then we moved up here, and John was a pastor on staff at our church, The Crossing. And, um, And I looked for another teaching job that was just still the thing for me to do at the time. Um, really had not given much thought to anything else. It was just like, I'm just raising these babies and I'm just sort of partnering with John and the ministry that he is a part of and was serving at church a lot, loved that. Um, really just loved being a mom um, in those years and all those all those things. So just never really even thought about going back into counseling. It was really the furthest thing from my mind until I started having, I mean, I had a great teaching job, things were going well, my kids were flourishing. Um, seemed like John was, and I started having severe panic attacks and anxiety. And when you can't control panic attacks and anxiety to that level, you very easily slip into depression. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, boom, it just hit me really fast and hard. And um, instantly knew I needed help because I could not, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything to dig my way out of that. It was a mess. Um, and then ended up getting into some counseling. First counselor I had was fantastic for a million other people, but was not the right fit for me. Um, ended up going to another counselor who was the right fit for me then, shortly after that. And um, just significant amounts of counseling for the next really year to two years. Significant amounts digging around, trying to figure out where in the world did this come right. from? Because often when anxiety hits, you can't immediately, especially in the beginning of experiencing something like that, you can't immediately find a trigger. So there's a lot of digging that I think goes on um, in counseling where you're like, what in the world? We were at a great, you know, this was a much more um, seemingly should have been a lot less stressful time in our lives. Right. right. And it just kicked me in the gut so um, started digging around with my counselor who was just fantastic for me and um, you know you dig around you go way back into your history into your growing up years into patterns that you learned and ways that you learned to survive basically emotionally Mm -hmm. um, mentally and then you um, you know and and got really to the heart of a lot of what had been just rummaging around in my mind. And then, you know, as as I say a lot, and there's actually a fantastic book about this, The Body Keeps the Score, you know? 
So yeah. you can't hang on to anxiety and stuff it down for so long without it actually coming out in some way. And it comes out a little differently for everybody. But for me, it was panic and anxiety, and I couldn't control it, and I felt like I was going crazy. And anyway, long story short, um, or shorter, I guess, uh, I toward the end of my of a lot of my significant counseling, I was doing so much better and had just learned some really great tools and had just helped me so much. And along the way, my counselor had said, you know, I gotta tell you, I think you're wired for this. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Right. <laughs> and um, took some different conversations and kind of the way that God works, you know, he doesn't just, at least with me, he doesn't just give me one you know, here, Karen, you know, this is the path for mm -hmm. you. I have to hear it in a million different ways. And I did. I began to just get little nuggets of, of, of um, what I would say is God speaking to me, not audibly, but, you know, in, in all the ways that he kind of does through other people and through just different experiences and things that I was reading in scripture and um, conversations and just the different things. Um, and realized, okay, I think this might be what I need to do. And it didn't hurt that at the time, I was a teacher, like I said, and I was in middle school, and I kept finding myself, as I was going through my counseling journey, I kept finding myself um, wanting to camp out with kiddos on their life. Like, yeah. oh, I don't want to teach you grammar today. You right. know what I mean? I don't right. want us to write a paper. I don't want us to talk about, you know, all the, all the things having to do with language arts. I just was losing so much interest in that portion of teaching. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was all about digging into their lives, like mm -hmm. what's happening with me. And I loved it. And I, it just seemed so much more significant to me. Not that there's anything wrong with teaching language arts. We all need it. But for me, it was like, gosh, this is where I think my passion lies in, in going deep with people and being able to just sit with them in their pain the way that my counselor sat with me in mine. You know? So... That was sort of happening simultaneously. Yeah. And I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. And so kind of ended my teaching career pretty abruptly. I mean, it was at the end of the school year, but it was like, okay, I'm not going to do both. I'm going to go all in. And so um, stopped teaching and um, went to school full time to get my master's in counseling. Where'd you go? Covenant, right? Covenant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Covenant. Loved it. Loved yeah. that experience. So good. One of the best things I think that happens with um, really good master's programs for counseling is when they make you do your own work, you know, Yeah. as in your own heart work, right. your own mental, um, you know, they have a requirement that you have to get your own counseling. Well, I was already getting counseling, so that was no problem. But it was, I just think it, it helps to really um, drive home exactly what you're doing, mm -hmm. you know, why you're doing it. And that's, that's always what makes us better at whatever it is we do. Sure. Yeah. When, so uh, two things I want to go back to. One, counseling is not where you're laying on a couch with some, like, frail old, old man with little glasses and he's, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that where you think probably my parents' generation, your parents' generation, like, shied away from counseling? Because, you know, because at so. what point did, mm -hmm. did our culture go, no, actually, we need, we need this. Everybody needs a counselor, spiritual guidance, mentor, those three people something, in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I think there's something generational about that, about 
you know, I mean, we can't get away, first of all, from the concept that most people don't want to ever admit that they need help. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that is so hard for all of us mm-hmm. to just admit that we need help. Now, if it's, I need help setting the table. I need help doing the dishes. I need help doing the laundry. That's totally different. But even that, some people struggle with. Yeah. But this, I mean, gosh, if you need to go to a counselor, you must be you crazy. Must be, right. You know right. what I mean? You must really have issues. Issues, uh-huh. you know. Um, and that's just completely false. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we, I think it's gotten a bad rap, you know? Movies, shows. Cartoons, different when, things. When I, uh, my first time going to counseling, I was 19. And uh, I was told, like, oh, you don't need that. Mm-hmm. You're fine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, I know something's not right. Mm. But I, I grew up just stuffing my feelings down. Mm-hmm. And I think at some level, I was probably told, like, don't feel that way. Mm. So then I was told, like, okay, I shouldn't yeah. feel bad. And then when like it all hits the fan, I was like, I don't know how to process this. And I was just like, started doing self-destructing things. Mm-hmm. Which is what we all do. It just looks different on it, all of us. Correct. You know, the right. form of that. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and you mentioned the whole feelings thing. I think um, for, for years, we're in, I think, a new era now. But for years and generations, I think there was this concept of your feelings, you know, you should really mm-hmm. tamper those. You should really you know, squash some of those. Mm-hmm. There are good feelings and there are bad feelings. And we just don't really want to deal with the bad feelings. Right. Um, and that's, that's again, that's false, you know. Often, <laughs> you've heard me say this probably, or your own counseling experiences have shared the same concept of um, your feelings are just your feelings. You know, they're not good or bad. Yeah. They just they're are. Just, they just are. They yeah. just are. And so... Um, to figure out how to manage them better, Correct. yes, okay, um, or to manage the behaviors that come along with those suckers, mm-hmm. but but feelings in general are just a part of being human, and um, and I think the bigger question then is not so much to go, well, I shouldn't feel that way, but to go, why do I feel that way? That's where the real work begins, is in determining, well, what is it? What is it? Hey, I feel bad. Do I ever? What is that that's making me feel bad? Yeah. Often, when we're stuck inside our own heads, we don't know what it is that's making us feel a certain way. That's where I was with my anxiety. It was, I don't know what is wrong with me. I've always been so laid back. I've always been just able to just let things, you know, roll right off me. What is wrong with me that I am freaking out mm-hmm. multiple times a day? Um, and so it will catch up with you if you keep denying those feelings and right. don't do the work of figuring out what is fueling this, um, then you're going to get stuck and your body's going to betray you. Right. In yeah. one way or another. Yeah. You know, your mind and your body. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, it is a generational thing, I think, to some extent. And I don't mean that in an ugly way. I just mean, I think, um, I think we've minimized the importance of it. And the truth is, you know, when we talk about what counseling is and what counseling isn't, if it's not the laying on the couch and having that, you know, somebody analyzing my dreams or hypnotizing me and, you know, and me just talking about, 
meaningless things, which is what it kind of looks like in in our culture and the media and different things that we've seen mm-hmm. and heard. Mm-hmm. If it's not that, then what is it? And I was pleasantly surprised, even as a even as a um, as a client. Now I knew growing up again what my dad did. Um, I didn't, you know. He there's obviously so much um, confidentiality, and mm-hmm. my dad was fantastic with that. Um, so oftentimes he would even potentially see some of my friends or different people that I knew at church, and I would have no idea. You know, they would come and say, hey, did you know that your dad's my counselor or my, your dad's my... I'm like, no, why would I know that? You know, my dad would yeah. obviously can't share those kinds of things. Um, but I knew that it was something that was probably a lot more conversational than what um, society made it look like. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it is, you know. It's really just having an objective person to be able to... That cares, I mean, you know... Um, to be able to help you unpack what's going on and where where some of those feelings are coming from and what your experiences have been like and how it helped to shape who you are and how you think, yeah, um, and how you behave and and in so doing, you you know it's not rewriting history. We're not doing that. I wish we could. I mean, that would be the magic pill formula, right? You yeah. just take this pill and then you'll forget all about. Um, it's not like that, and it shouldn't be. You know, our experiences help to shape who we are. They don't have to define us, um, but they but they do help to create patterns and different ways of doing things and stuff that we can't even see. Mm-hmm. But somebody who's just a few steps outside of us can go, wait a minute, do you see this? Here's this thing that led to this thing and led to this right. thinking and led to this experience that made you think this about yourself or about relationships, or about jobs, or about finances, mm-hmm. or about, you know, all the different things that life, you know, is full of. And and it takes that in order to to really get to the heart of what's going on. You yeah, know? yeah. You can't do that with just your buddy. I, I, don't, I don't fully understand all the whys of that. There are a lot of components to that. But you can't just do that. You know, I can't get counseling from my husband. He's fantastic at it in some ways without even having gone to school like I did. But he's... Oh, he saved my life. Oh, well, I mean, mine too. (laughs) I love that man. Um, But he can't be my counselor because he's my husband. I can't be my kid's counselor. They need their own, you know, Mm -hmm. because they're my kids. And I have a, I have a, I have a bend toward them. I have a, I have a different relationship with them to where they're not going to be able to come out with all of the things because I'm their mom. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to be able to look at it with subjectively. clear eyes. Yeah, yeah. subjectively. Um, yeah. So, so it's just a, it's, you need that objective person, you know, to be able to kind of peel apart your, your layers and your story and, and be able to help you figure out what's what. Yeah. I, uh, so I wrote recently, I don't feel my feelings well. Mm. So it's just kind of like, I'm a thinker and I think I know what I'm feeling, but I really don't. And so last week, Stephanie and I, we were, it was not an argument at all. It was kind of like, where are we going in our future? You know, uh, I feel like our paths are coming to like a double Y, right? Mm -hmm. So which one do we take? And I just felt frustrated in general. And uh, so afterwards, she's like, how are you feeling? And I said, fine. Well, apparently fine's not a feeling. (laughs) So she, uh, we we have this thing uh, we found on Google. It's a feelings wheel. It's like Mm, multicolored. Yeah, absolutely. So we started on the 
outer portion. Great. She's like, are you feeling this? You know, are you feeling sad? No. Upset. You're whatever, you know, whatever yeah. the words are. And I'm like, okay, yes, those two. And then you go in even further. Yeah, that's right. And worked our way all the way down to the core was fear. Mm. And it wasn't fear of like, I'm afraid, like boogeyman afraid. It was, I'm afraid of failure. Mm. I'm afraid that the path I'm going to choose is going to blow up in my face. Mm -hmm. And then what? Mm -hmm. But I didn't, I thought, fine, right? <laughs> Yeah. Fine does not equal failure. You know, I don't know. Like, sure. And, uh, and then I got to use that same tool on my daughter who has like the same, she's very much wired like me. Mm. So I noticed she was just, you know, just kind of looking down. And I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I don't know. So I was like, feelings wheel. We want to work our way around. And, and then she was like, oh, I feel better. Like, mm. But that was to me and probably to her was like six layers deep, which is so hard. Mm. I felt like I was in like so the pit hard. of hell. Yes. And I'm never going to get out. Which isn't that interesting that, and, and you didn't say it about you, but it's interesting that she said it about getting to the heart of her feelings. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Like that she actually felt better. Oh, I feel better. And look at that. We didn't give the magic pill. You know, yep. we didn't rewrite history. It was just identifying it, calling it out, naming it, being able to go, this is, this is it. This is actually how I feel. And somebody go, oh, okay, mm -hmm. I see that. Validating it, you know, yeah. sitting in it with us. That is half the battle. Right. That is half of processing right there. Right. Um, and, and it's bizarre how that works so well, but that really is half the battle. Mm -hmm. And then, so I told you this on Sunday too, how I told you, I was like, um, knowing how I react to things and understanding what it is mm -hmm. can now I can turn to Stephanie and say, Hey, I'm feeling this oh, way so good. and I'm, I'm working on coming back, but this is how I feel. Had I not known that mm -hmm. I would have been snippy with everybody. Cause that's like, that's my tendency. Mm -hmm. And then she would have gotten upset and we're on our way to church and we start arguing and then the kids are upset. Right. Like, Oh my gosh. And, yeah. and so it's, I feel like, um, learning about ourselves, the Enneagram helped Meyer Briggs helped, but, we don't have to fight to get to common ground anymore. Mm -hmm. We are there with each other because she's like, okay, I understand why you feel that way. Or I can say, I understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. And a lot of arguments, you're like, why would you do that? Yeah. Right? So yep. the argument's kind of gone. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, okay, how do we fix the actual issue? Because we know what the issue is. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you take it so much less personally. Yeah, when you, right. When oh, you yeah, have yeah. more of, um, of, a, of an ability to to see where you're at and to you've figured out some tools, some ways for you to figure out how, what it is you're feeling, why you're feeling that way and to be able to say it out loud and all of those things, whoever it is that's with you doesn't take it so personally. Yeah. Then. Right. It's like, Oh, you're not aiming this in my direction. This is just what's going on uh -huh. inside you, yeah. which is the case for most of us right. with a lot of situations. Right. Right. You know? What do you see is the, probably the number one reason people come see you? Uh, the number one would be the same reason why I went in. So anxiety, anxiety. depression, for sure. Absolutely. Um, often <clears throat> it's accompanied by relationship difficulties or, you know, um, or struggles at a job or with figuring out purpose or pathway or, mm. um, you know, any of those things, uh, practical things. But it, what it all almost always boils down to is anxiety feel like like our software is in mental health so I've been kind of in 
thrown headfirst in the past three years mm -hmm. in mental health, and I never realized how bad it was. Mm. Are we as a culture just saying like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Screw it. I'm really anxious. Mm. Or like, why all of a sudden can, and I don't know if you can answer this, but is everybody okay now saying it? Like mental health became all of a sudden extremely important. Yeah. It, I feel like it wasn't an on-ramp. It was, we're here. Yeah, I think... I do, I th was there anything you can look back and go, oh, okay, this happened? No, I, I don't know that that's the case. I mean, you can look back at just historic things in our in our country and see some of those kinds of things. I mean, starting with 9-11, for sure. Right. Um, you can look at, at, you know, the trajectory of the world and different things that have taken place that remind us of just how um, depraved we are. Um that I think drives us to that place of going, oh my gosh, like, you know, I don't, I don't know what else to do. I need help. But I must say, um, I think something that millennials have actually brought to the forefront for us is this need for, for help. Yeah. This need for, for um, acknowledging our feelings and acknowledging where our head's at and what's going on in there, you know? Um, I, I really do. I think they're much better at, um, just in general, at mm -hmm. acknowledging that there's something going on here and they're not afraid to go, okay, well, what's the, what are we going to do with this? Yeah. What do I do with this? Yeah. And it's normalized it a little bit more maybe for, for other generations too. You know, yeah. it's become a lot more of a, of a thing. So, I mean, that's, I don't, I don't fully understand all of the whys to that. I think, I think there have been some very, um, pop culture, um, pop psychology type concepts that have, that have, I mean, that have some really great roots and have some fantastic, even biblical, um, roots to them. Like for instance, uh, mindfulness. You know, we didn't talk yeah. about mindfulness that much 10, 20 years ago. But, man, you hear about it around every corner now. Right. And, really, it was being talked about. Oh, oh, yeah. Know, it goes first back. century. Oh, for sure. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> the Bible's full of mindfulness. <laughs> All oh. the time. <laughs> and practices that yeah. actually originated. Imagine that with the creator. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. Um, but, yeah, but it's become, you, you know, you, you can't deny that those things have been much more, become right. much more popular now. That's just what people do. They practice mindfulness. And, mm -hmm. you know, and so, and that's just one example. I think there are a lot of things like that have caused people to go, oh, I want to learn more about this or how yeah. to do this better. And, yeah. And so, um, but, but you cannot deny either. Well, I can't deny anyway that, um, that, again, it's not, there are so many great things about the world. I don't want to paint the picture that this is just, you know, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, right. You know, it's not that. <clears throat> we talked about it. Um, Greg talked about it a little bit on, at church on um, this weekend, just about how you can just almost, the way I've been describing it in my own head is that, gosh, they're just groanings. I feel like our world is just groaning, you know, groaning with just, just um, the weight, the heaviness of of what life looks like. And I don't fully understand all of the whys to that. It's not like we don't historically have all kinds of time periods where there's been 
awful things that have transpired. Right. So that's not necessarily all that new. Some of the awful things mm-hmm. in the world. We've we've gone through awful periods in our history in this world. Um, I don't know why, but man, it feels like um, our world and our our um, society and our just even our community and our my personal world. There's a groaning of just desperation, you know. And for me personally, I can't help but but see that it's a um, that it's a huge spiritual component. There's a huge spiritual component to that, I believe, and mm-hmm. and um, and I think we we are getting desperate enough that we're that we're also in a position to not do it alone. Yeah, we're not meant to. And we're definitely not no. meant to. That's right. Um, there's a book that came out recently. It's called Get Out of Your Head, mm-hmm. and it's about just like the the negative self talk, the lies we believe. And I'm going to quote her. Um, the book, I, I can't think of the author right now. Is I can that look Jenny it up. Allen? Yes! Love yeah! Her. Love her. But she says that people on average have between 9,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. Mm-hmm. And that like uh, 85% of them are negative. <laughs> and then, s- I'm either going to get these wrong, but I'll, I'll fix it. But it's either 85% of them are negative and 75% of them are repetitive from the day before. Mm. Or those numbers are vice versa, wow. right? But either way, that's a lot. That's a lot. And so now I'm being mindful of like, what, what is the self-talk going on in my head? And it sucks, Karen. <laughs> like, I'm a positive person. Oh, no, you are. Until I get by myself. Yeah, wow. And, uh. I started recalling like all these memories of like, oh, this is where that came from. Oh, this is why. Isn't that interesting? <sighs> yeah. You know, I just heard, um, it's funny, I just I just heard Christine Kane yesterday on a podcast. Um, do you know her? No, oh, I need to. All right, I'm going to write her down. She's just, oh Christine Kane? Christine Kane. Okay. She's a fantastic um, author and speaker and teacher and preacher and just... Um, She's just fantastic. But one of the things that she made mention of, it was actually a podcast with her best friend, Lisa Harper. Okay. Who's also fantastic. You should look her up, too. Um, Lisa Harper. I need a notebook. And she has a brand new podcast, too. So. Okay. Um, but they're best friends. And so she said, Christine said, well, I guess Lisa called it out, and Christine acknowledged it. She doesn't like to be alone in her own mind. Oh, it's the scariest <laughs> place. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But what I loved about what she said was that, you know, she's not anesthetizing it with busyness, just for busyness sake. She's she's not going alone in her own mind without Jesus, you know. She's she's spending a tremendous amount of private time in scripture and in things that are going to I'm totally bringing John into it again, that whole cycle of significance thing, you know, that what yeah. are your thoughts? What are you putting? What is the input you are you are taking in mm-hmm. that are um, influencing your thoughts? And so many of those thoughts are so subconscious. Right. So, um, yeah, that's not surprising. I haven't heard that that Jenny was talking about, but I'd love to. I need to read that book probably too. But she's um, she's fantastic, and that's absolutely true. None of us like the idea of being alone with our own thoughts and our own head. It's a scary place because mm-hmm. it is negative. Right. 
we're not good at right. positive self-talk. No. And we've done a really crappy job. Again, well, I, sh- I don't even know if I should say this, but it's, it, you know, I think, um, I think there's been a, a misunderstanding of what humility is and what um, self-deprecation is. I think we are often leaning, even in, and maybe especially in our Christian culture, into, um, you know, self-deprecation. That that is, that that is godliness, and it is not. Correct. You know. Right. To allow the negative self-talk to stay in there, what we call in, in counseling or cognitive distortions, mm-hmm. right? To allow that stuff to stick around, to not acknowledge it and throw it out and start speaking what is true about us, what God has to say about us. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it's influencing the rest of our lives. It's, it's wreaking havoc. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh I, I picture it as like the ugly, large black raven that flies around mm. and bothers you and then lands on your shoulder and starts going, you That's suck. Sure. You're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. You can't do this. That's right. And there are times where it's like right in my ear and it's the loudest thing I hear. Mm. And now I've learned to acknowledge it Yes. and go, okay, I hear you, but it's not true. It's so not fly true. on and literally, and, and for me, it's like the imaginative process of, okay, like looking at it and going, okay, I hear you, now go. Yes. That literally kind of helps me feel like, okay, I can. Totally agree. And I'm not great at it. Like this morning was not good. Last night wasn't good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe if I can get it right 40% of the time, that's better than. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> and it's practice. Yeah. You're not going to get it right all the time. Yeah. It is absolutely something you have to practice. And, and, and I, think, I think you're right to acknowledge it and go, that's not true, is a big deal. I would say even go a step further. Well, see, this is where I can't go, so help me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say even go a ste- going a step further, and this is the harder part, I think, is, um, well, I mean, personally, I think the, the hardest part is acknowledging that there is that voice, that it's even there, because it can be so subconscious that we don't even recognize how it's infiltrating our how we interact with people and all the things. Um, so the, the hardest thing and most important thing is to actually acknowledge that it's happening, you know, right. to call that out and go, that is not true. But then the next piece of that is, but what is true, you know, and speaking it over your life. I can't tell you how many times somebody probably drives down the street and sees me talking to myself in the car. Because they just it think is, you're on Bluetooth, right? I mean, okay, that's helpful <laughs> these days. That's true. Or maybe I'm singing. I don't right. Know. Um, but to actually speak out loud, okay, that is not true, but here's what is true. Here's what is true. And if I can't find it, I will literally say out loud, God, show me what's true because I'm not believing what's true, I don't think. And this doesn't sound like you, you know, because mm. he doesn't say those things right. that we let come through our head. He doesn't say those things to us. That right. doesn't come from him. That's right. absolutely not from him. So that's part of the being able to say that's not true, you know. And then to be able to stop and go, but what is true? Well, here is what is true. Here's how my feelings are lying mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. about what's true. You know, um, your feelings are not, I forget who said this, but your feelings are not dictators. They're indicators. We should pay attention to them. But they don't dictate 
your next move and your next response. And they don't yeah. dictate what's yeah. true. Yeah, your feelings good. aren't necessarily telling you the truth, which is why you have to take the time somehow to go, whoa, 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 whoa. What am I feeling? Oh, where'd that come from? Oh, it came from this, mm-hmm. this little thing on my shoulder lying to me about something. And to squash that and to go, no, that is not true. Here's what is true. And if yeah. you don't know what's true or how to find it, that's when you get help. Right. You know? And, and you reach out to somebody, because, again, you can't do it by yourselves. You reach out to somebody, yes, a counselor, preferably, <laughs> um, for some of the biggies especially. But, you know, a lot of us have good friends and, and spouses like you do with Stephanie, being able to stop and go, okay, wait a minute. Where's this coming from? What am I feeling? Mm-hmm. Let's get out the wheel, you know? Yep. You do that until it's really ingrained in you, and then you don't have to look at the wheel because now you're naming That's right. your feelings. You're naming what's going on, where it came from, what the thought was. Is it true? Is it not true? Oh, it's not true? Okay, well, then what is true? You know. And pretty soon it's rapid fire. Pretty soon, and, and I don't know that we'll ever be 100% because we do live in this place where it sucks sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not to mention, we do get it wrong sometimes. So sometimes that voice, um, and, and that's the hard part, is, is distinguishing, okay, is this the voice of the enemy? Is this the liar? Or is this the truth teller who's here to convict me? Who's here to say, hey, wait a minute. Here's something that you really probably, you know. But that voice should sound so, so different, different, right? It's not condemnation. It's conviction. Yeah. It's, hey, I love you, right? and this is what I've created for you for. This is what I know you're wired for. Yeah. This is what I know you're capable of, but you're getting it wrong, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But even then, we call out truth, and we don't let it affect us. It's that difference between guilt and shame, you know? Shame says this is who you are. Guilt says this is who, what you did. You know, We think about guilt being a really awful thing. It's actually not an awful thing because... It's, and it's, I mean, it's a concept that, that God has used with conviction. I might be guilty of doing something, thinking something unfair or untrue or behaving a certain way. Or I might be guilty of doing something, but I am not condemned to shame. You know, yeah. that is not who God is. Right. I can be convicted and guilty of something and acknowledge it and it be true but it does not dictate who I am. That's right. But that voice that you're speaking of is the voice that tells mm-hmm. us you should be ashamed because mm-hmm. this is who you are. And right. that is absolutely a lie of the enemy and not something that our God would ever say. Yeah. What's some easy, practical ways? So someone's listening to this, they're driving and they're going, oh, I have these thoughts. Mm. But I, they don't even know where to begin with, like what's true and what's not. So what would you tell a client saying, okay, start here? Well, you know, it's easier in some ways when they're in with me because, like I said, we can retrace some of those roots, mm. you know. And we do that by going, well, when, when did we first start feeling this way? Hmm, wonder what was going on. Well, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that story. Tell me about where that came from. Tell me about – and you dig, you know. But um, so in counseling, it's a little bit easier. Sure, yeah. You know, so a client might not necessarily – I mean, they obviously are wanting to figure out what that thing is so they can – you know, so that they can attack it head on and be done with it. Um, but it's usually a process. And again, it's a process that you got to get better at. You got to practice and get better at. Um, quick tools, quick tips. I mean, there's a, a ton of different ones. 
But I think one of the bigger ones, you know, again, I referred to this a second ago, that cycle of significance. What are you putting in your head? What are you allowing into your view? And, you know, I mean, if, if, if that circle thing that John's drawn for you before, mm-hmm. you know, you have the input, it leads to a thought, um, and then it leads to a feeling, and then that feeling turns into an action, and then the action turns into a result, and then the result, it's just a circle. It just keeps cycling right. back around, right? The input is so important, and I mean, I don't know where I get these little percentages. I just make them up in my own head, but I think it, I think it, I mean, it fits for me. <laughs> it has for a lot of my clients, too, but <laughs> the idea is I want to operate on an 80-20 principle where it's like 80% Okay, we have all this input, right? You've got billboards, you've got Mm -hmm. commercials, you've got, you know, TV programs, you've got music that you listen to, you have people that you listen to, you have work, you have things that you read, you have, we are constantly getting input. And some of it we're not even meaning to get, you know. Um, And so some of that you can't necessarily help. So keep that one in the back of your head. You can't necessarily help all the input that's coming Mm -hmm. in. And then you look at things like, okay, bad things happen and they're, you know, and sickness happens. And those things are not necessarily good input, but they are real and they are just things that happen. So I have to be aware that the negative is going to find its way in. I'm not going to have to look for it usually, right? I might have to look for the positive input. And so I want to operate on an 80-20 principle. If I'm getting a crap ton of negative input because it's been a bad day, because, um, you know, our car broke down or because somebody's ill or, or you know, just all the different things, right? Um, I better make darn sure that I am practicing some self-care, another buzzword for our um, right. generation right, right now, you know, right. um, but practicing some self-care in the form of making sure, being intentional about good input. And what can that look like? Well, it's who are you surrounding yourself with, for one thing. I mean, that's yeah. those are going to be the biggest influences, probably, right. on all of us. Right. Um, uh, it's scripture. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I can't get away from it. Sorry for all of you out there that are like, there it is again. <laughs> I just can't help it. <laughs> it's just what's real and true. Um, uh, you know, there are oftentimes where John he's gotten better about this, but he used to be like, I I love to watch the evening news. And he'd be like, stop watching the news. It's so, you know, it just brings you down. And I'm like, but I need to know what's happening in the world. And, um, but I have to be careful about that. If it's been one of those days and my, and I'm that, you know, and by 80, 20, I mean, I want 80% positive input and I want 20% negative. Um, and I've got to go looking for the positive. So if I'm having one of those days where that scale is kind of, um, wonky and I'm getting a lot more of the negative input, I've got to be careful about what I'm allowing to come in. It may be, hey, I'm not watching the news. We're going to make dinner and I'm going to turn on a podcast or a a sermon or I'm going to, you know, we're going to turn on some really good worship music or something that's going to, I'm going to surround myself with people who are, yeah, truth tellers. It's not like I (laughs) just want everybody who's going to be all rainbows and sunshine and smiles, but I, but I, I want to make sure that it's good input, that it's something that's good for me and edifying. Um, so I want to make sure that I am being intentional about my input because it will influence those thoughts that then influence your feelings and all the other things that come right. with it. 
You know, if you get to that place, if I get to that place where I am now going, okay, I'm feeling this way, I can retrace my thoughts for how I got to this, these feelings, and, uh, and I can even think about when they started coming in. Oh, it was about that time when I was stuck in traffic and I was about to be late to a dinner appointment and I was, I mean, you can almost always trace it to something that's not necessarily good input, you know? Yeah. So you gotta you gotta be aware of that. I've got to go looking for my eighty percent of mm-hmm. the positive. Yeah, it's not necessarily gonna make every all of those feelings get right in line, and you're gonna be eighty percent positive and twenty percent of a negative person, and you're just gonna have eighty percent positive feelings that aren't even positive or negative, like we've mm-hmm. established. Um, but you're being intentional about it and it's going to keep you a little bit more, your head a little bit more above the water. Yeah, I think that's right. You know? Yeah. Um, but, but again, I cannot stress enough. And, and I feel like I can do that because it was my experience. You got to get help, mm-hmm. you know? Um, pastors are great for that. Obviously counselors are great for that. Life coaches, you know, a mentor, a good spiritual mentor, um, you gotta, you gotta get help. You gotta get somebody that can help you chase that stuff down. Yeah. You can't do it by yourself. You know, the other thing that we tend to do with anxiety and depression <clears throat> is we isolate. Um, I'm famous for this. You know, you just isolate. It's like, I don't mm. want anybody to be around this. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> and I don't really want to be around you either. So I'm just going to isolate. I'm going to just quarantine myself <laughs> so that I do not have, um, so that it, so that we don't affect each other and all those things. Right. And that's the, that's the positive worst. opposite yes, thing you exactly. can do. Absolute op- opposite of what you need to do. But it's instinctual. Mm-hmm to sort of pull away and withdraw and isolate. And that's the worst thing you can do because study after study now is showing us that one of the best things you can do when it comes to anxiety and depression is connect, 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 connect. And again, we're connecting with people that are good for us, you know, right? and that we're good for. It, do you work a lot with uh, young families? I like do. Kid? Oh, yeah. So when, I, do. I think there was five, Five suicides in Parkway and Rockwood mm, in mm. the month of January mm. alone, you know? And so yeah. what are some, you know, warning signs, like if your son or daughter's withdrawing a lot. Mm. But I think part of it, parents don't want to admit, not my kid, right? Yeah. Um, so true. Yeah. And it you? can happen so quickly. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a million different warning signs out there. Withdrawing would absolutely be one of the first you know, less interest in things that, um, that they used to find much more interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of sleeping. Um, you watch eating patterns. What's that look like? Grades. Have they, has there been a significant decline in grades? I mean, there are a lot of things that you can look at from a practical standpoint. I think the biggest thing that you can do, again, in line with what we've just been saying, is connect. Yeah. And it's so freaking hard to connect with your teenagers. You know, it can be really hard. Because there's that wall that they build up, like yeah. all teenagers do. Yeah. I feel like you, you guys do a good job. Mm. I mean, well. you know, <laughs> I've seen on the outside and then maybe like two steps mm. inside, not mm-hmm. the full yeah, yeah. inside. But I don't know. I've, I tell John all the time, if 
my kids can be half as good as mm-hmm. your kids, then I think we did a good job. You know, I really would love to take so much credit for just being such great parents, but I'll bet on a weekly basis, John and I have the conversation of, holy cow, the grace of God is so very real in our kids, showing up in our kids, because any good that you see, this sounds really like cheesy, but truly, Vince, we don't know what the hell we're doing. You know, I mean, we do. We're trying to be trying intentional, to, yeah. but we, but when it gets right down to it, we've made so many mistakes too. And our kids could probably give all kinds of testimony to that. I don't know, but I, I think one of the most there, there are two very liberating concepts um, for us as parents. Um, one of them is this idea of um, just loving the heck out of your kids you know you could screw it up all over the place sometimes in a lot of different ways but if your kids feel loved Mm, yeah you know that really does as scripture says cover over a multitude of sins you know um there's this concept called good enough parenting i heard it first from um um what's his name uh the dude that I love wrote uh, Dan Allender. Hello. Oh yeah. The dude we love that Dan. I love. <laughs> we love Dan at our house. Yes, me too. Um, and I heard it at a conference that he was doing, and he said, "You know, there's this concept of good enough parenting, and the idea—I'm probably botching it up here—but the idea behind it is that you know there is no perfect parent. That's relieving in some ways. Yeah. I am no perfect parent. You know, I am not Jesus. I am not God. I am not a perfect parent." But good enough parenting is I'm not even going to claim to be and I'm not going to pretend like I am and I'm not going to create that um, facade for my kids, you know, or for anyone else because the reality is I am not. Um, And it's okay. It's enough that I love my kids and that they know they're loved. Yeah. You know, often I I counsel with people who go, you know, I love them so much talking to a parent and a kid. And then I'll have the kid say, I don't feel like they love me. Ooh. Well, now we just need to figure out how this is coming across. Like yeah. there's been a breakdown yeah. in the communication yeah. of this. But when a kid feels loved as unconditionally as possible in our human form, um, it's it's enough. It's changing. It's life changing. Um, and just praying for them constantly. Um you know, spent some time doing that this morning, just heavy hearted about one of my kiddos and just going, God, I don't know, but you do. I don't know what to do, but you do. I don't know how to encourage. I don't know how to love well, but you do. Mm -hmm. So show me how I can communicate that in the best possible way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's so tough, honestly, working with, working with teenagers is super tough in general, um, and kids in general, but, um, being a parent of teenagers, being a parent in general, woo, way harder than it looked like, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always tell yeah. people I was a much better parent before I became one because, you know, from the outside. Oh, it seems easy. Oh my gosh. And yeah. you judge people, you like, well, I did, I, I hate to admit it, but. Um, I think I've told you this before, but I'd be like in Walmart before I had kids, seeing some kid misbehave or something. You know, Walmart brings out the worst in of all of our children, and um, and so I, you know, and I'd be kind of judgmental, 
just like, you know, get that kid in order, you know? Yeah. That kid needs a good whipping, you know what I'm saying? Or <laughs> um, I'm going to get in trouble over that. Um, or something, but, um, but you know, once you have kids, you're like, oh, this is a little more complicated yeah. than, I, than I thought it was going to be. I remember we would, <laughs> before Sydney was born, we'd see a kid, like, screaming at the mall, not wanting to mm-hmm. sit in their stroller, and yeah. we were like, our kid not will never. Yeah, That's well, right. Sydney was the kid who never wanted to be in a stroller <laughs> and would scream, <laughs> oh, it's humiliating. Yes, yeah, and now what do we do when we see somebody else? Oh, yeah, I'm like, oh. like, how can I help? <laughs> yep. Like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's so true. Yes. Because it just is not near as easy as it as it looks like on the outside yeah, until no. you're in that position. So um yeah, it's it's a it's a tough deal. Um one of the other things that I think has been super important uh is this concept of responding and not reacting. Oh, you told me that. Yeah, so and it's that like stuck a, I hang me. my hat on that, man. It is a yeah. big deal, which is like one of the hardest things to do as a parent. Because when you love your kids so much right. and you see something scary or something dangerous or something that's, you know, that, that you don't want them to do or that they're doing and they shouldn't do or that they, you know, something they should do and they're not doing right. it, all right. those things. Our tendency is to overreact. Our tendency is to react in general. But as a parent, we're really good at overreacting. And if you really want to shut your kids down, stay on that path because mm. it will shut them down faster than anything, you know? Yeah. Um, when you can take it in, when you can sit with it, whoo, that's hard. Not react. Take a minute. Let them talk. Practice your listening skills. All those things they are going to keep communicating because they're just going to feel comfortable. They feel safe. They feel so safe. Yeah. You know, like, okay, you're okay with this. I'm not freaking you out too much, you know, and you just sit with it and you ask a lot of questions. And, um, and you know, the hardest thing, I think one of the hardest things as a parent having to do with some of that reaction stuff is teachable, is finding teachable moments. Like, we are constantly on the lookout for teachable moments with our kids. And I think that can actually impair our ability to parent and to connect with our kids. Mm -hmm. Because if you're always looking for that moment, I mean, they're they're tired of your lecture. They're tired of your story. They've heard it 50,000 times. You know, just sit with them where they are. Let their story be their story sit with them and their stuff and go, okay, well, let's work through this. What are you thinking? What are you feeling about it? Yeah, that's good. I needed that. Mm, so <laughs> hard. It's so much harder. <laughs> I'm saying this right now, and then later on I'm going to be tested with it. You right. know what I mean? No, that's good. Yeah, it's it's super hard to do that. Well, thank you for sitting. I have oh, I have absolutely. some fun questions so that, you know, because it's the podcast called The Happy Place. So we're gonna I mean, happy. we're happy. Woo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> So I want to know, uh, what are you watching right now? Oh gosh! Are you wow. you're a Bachelor fan? Are you watching The Bachelor right now? <laughs> We're two behind. Are you okay? Well, then I don't want to give away. I hate too. these women. Oh my gosh, they're <laughs> killing me. They're absolutely killing me. You know, I do not you know like. What a this. common phrase is when we watch the show? What you need counseling? Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> 
There's a girl, you know, she's like, I've never told anybody. She's like 30. I've never told anybody, but my mom was a drug addict and I had to raise myself. Oh You've my never gosh. told anybody? Yes. I, I totally am feeling you on this. It's unbelievable. Well, not only that, but God bless that Peter the pilot because his discernment is not, he's a little idiotic. His discernment is not top rank you know he's just like some of the things that he says he sees in some of these girls i'm like mm, not getting it not seeing that yeah. at all but um yeah so bachelors is up there and and it's it's really more fun to just like make gawk yes. at you yes. know like holy crap are you kidding me right. um but i will say i love madison oh gosh i love madison Especially she's a basketball player. Last night, she's the um, from Auburn. The Auburn, yeah, yes. the Auburn coach's daughter. Okay, I'm team Matt. Yes, oh, I like her. And she's a believer, and she's just holding to her little, you know, moral compass there. And it's just, it's gonna get, it's gonna get all tangled up, I think, soon. But, um, but yeah, I love Bachelor. I can't help it. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Tell anybody. It was Try. very bachelor esque for me to say I it know. on a podcast. I never told anyone I never this, told but anybody this, but I watched The Bachelor. <laughs> Giving myself away. Yeah. What else are you watching? Um, what else do I watch? I watch like all of the tearjerker suckers, like This Is Us and um, a million little things and some of those little dramas. John's not the biggest fan of all those things. He doesn't understand why I would want to watch something that makes make me you cry. cry. Yeah, every episode. No. But if I sit still like for like two feelings. minutes, I start crying. So yes. you know, I don't need to watch well, something. That. <laughs> yeah, John's like, I need can counseling. we watch something funny? I'm like, mm, I don't know. It's kind of hard to find funny stuff these days. So the Good Place. You seen that? You know what? I not to be confused with the Happy Place. I have the, good, <laughs> exactly. the Good Place. There is. It did. Yeah. Um, I have I have watched that. I I haven't gotten into it that much. Oh. I'm more of a drama girl. I'm not gonna lie. I, I really am. We have um you know binge watched different things. We not too long ago. It's not brand new or anything, but we watched Broadchurch. Have you ever seen uh, that? Stephanie likes that. Yeah. Saw the whole thing. We sort of binge watched it on a snowy weekend. Sure. I don't know months ago. Couple well, you months ago. you guys loved Parks and Recreation. Oh my gosh! So the yes, guy who created fans. Parks and Rec created. The good place. Oh, see, then I probably would like. And he it. was also one of the writers. Just on haven't the got office. given it a good yeah. chance. That's really the truth of it. Yeah. So, um, trying to think of other stuff, but um, yeah, probably nothing. Just real. I do a lot of recording of things. So, and then you know, sit down when I'm really needing some downtime. And yeah. Watch the heck out of TV. Yeah. So. What's uh? What's your favorite noise? <laughs> <laughs> I love your favorite? laugh. <laughs> I hate my laugh. It's oh, it's so awesome. loud and obnoxious. Um, my favorite noise. That is an interesting question. I don't have to think about that. I mean, I love the sound of little ones laughing. You know, yeah. like my great niece is um, just at such a fun age, and like when you hear her giggle when my niece you puts just her. Eye, I mean, it's yeah. just See? like. You can't help but smile. I don't care where you're at um, or what you're going through. It's just kind of, it's just tickling. So, um, yeah, I think that's a big one. I mean, I love all of the other, uh, I love really, like, I love I love a good bodily function sound. <laughs> <laughs> that's a horrible thing uh. to say. I'm not really into burps, I'll tell you that. No, so you like the that. other way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be in the room with it necessarily, but man, it's just funny. 
Is it not? It, no, Am it I is. It is. Again, I feel like I'm on The Bachelor. <laughs> Should I say this in public? But it's just so funny. You know, another thing, so you taught me like the react respond thing and another really good Karen DeBrock nugget <laughs> in like the four years I've really known you well was never trust a fart. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Those are words oh, that we man. live by in our house. <laughs> like my daughter... Yeah. We'll say that. And they know it's from you. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, you know, the pairing to that is that um, f- farts are like friendships. <laughs> in that if you have to force it, it's probably That's shit. <laughs> <laughs> just so regret this conversation. I have never heard that before. That is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. It's so bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that is definitely not from my experience. Oh, sure. (laughs) No. Disclaimer. Right. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm embarrassed already. This is is going to be one of those that in the middle of the night, I'm going to be like, did I really say that? Oh, my God. It's all right. All right. You brought it out of me. <laughs> You're going to be it. good at this podcasting thing. You're bringing out the worst. <laughs> I'm good at that. I'm good at, you know, as long as people laugh, I'm okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm okay after this, if this made people laugh. That's great. Oh, I'm but. sure they will. I'm sure they will. Um, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think you are an incredible person. Oh. I'm going to just brag on you. Like, yeah. you really, you bring me joy and happiness. Thank and you. you. I you love when you lead us and... Mm. You know, last week we were, or Sunday we were sitting across from you, and I was like, I love just like sitting with my friends. I know. I was just, and then it was such a good I service, know. but oh yeah, I love your family. I uh, mean, we love you, Vince. We really do. Thanks. I'm honored that you would even ask me to to get to do this. So you're the first, re- like you'll be episode one, <gasps> because I want to lay the groundwork for everywhere we're going is people need counseling and mental health. Love that, and it's so true. Mm-hmm. So thank yeah. you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Love you. Appreciate it. Love you.